The Power Zone Sports Podcast is brought to you by Titan Home Lending, TicketSmarter.com, and our Florida realtor, Drew Felios. Enjoy the podcast. Ahoy, Buck fans. Are ye looking for a different kind of podcast that centers on the yellow-bellied opponents? Well, you've come to the right place. Get ready for an enjoyable, in-depth look back at the important moments, historical facts, and games for the Buccaneers against this week's opposition. It's the No Quarter Given podcast on the BuckPower.com podcast network. Now, let's get started with your co-hosts, Jason Powers and Peter Blake. All right, welcome in Powers on Sports Podcast, a first week in December edition of the Powers on Sports Podcast. Hopefully everybody's getting into the holiday spirit. Have you started your Christmas shopping yet? I know I haven't. I'm going to try to do some of that this week. But if you haven't, there'll be only three this coming up. Sunday will be two weeks to Christmas. Hard to believe we are two weeks away from Christmas, but lots of stuff going on in the sports world. We got college football playoff uh, selections, a lot of controversy there with Florida State. Uh, do you agree that Florida State should have been left out? Do you agree they shouldn't have been left out? Needless to say, we have Alabama, Michigan in the Rose Bowl, Texas, Washington in the Sugar Bowl. All the bowl games have been announced. Florida, Georgia, Florida State, Georgia in the Orange Bowl to name a few. Got a whole array of bowl games that'll start here in the next week or so. That'll take us through the month of December. We got the NFL playoffs starting to heat up. We got about five weeks to go in the regular season. This is the last week of buys in the National Football League. Most everybody will play it out from here on out. A couple of monster games in the NFL we'll talk about here in a couple of minutes. We got the winter meetings going on in Nashville. Juan Soto breaking news Wednesday night gets traded from the Padres to the Yankees. We are anticipating a Shohei Otani decision in the next few days. And we also have Army-Navy on Saturday as well. So, ton of stuff going on. We got two great guests for you. We're going to first, we're going to talk to uh, Rini Angolia. He's a college football analyst for ESPN. He, uh, We're going to talk about the Florida State uh, playoff situation. We're going to go through all the scenarios, what he thinks. We're also going to break down the two semifinal games. We're also going to get a state of the program in the state of Florida, a couple of the Florida teams uh, as well. So Rini's really uh, dialed in with uh, Coach Norvell uh, and some other 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 places around the country that we're going to, again, we're going to talk some college football stuff, some coaching hires as well. So you're going to enjoy our chat with Rini Angolia, ESPN College Football Ants. We're also going to talk to Steve Carney. Steve was, we, we talked to Steve live from the MLB winter meetings in Nashville at the at Opryland. Steve uh, was there all week. Was uh, So he heard some chatter. So we're going to talk about <coughs> Shohei Otani. We're going to talk about some of the, the uh, some of the moves that either were made or weren't made. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> but again, the breaking news Wednesday night was uh, Juan Soto traded to the Yankees 
for some uh, a couple of players and some prospects. So huge move by the Yankees. And again, as Shohei Otani's decision should be coming here in the next few days. You've got a lot of other big name guys that, that will probably start the domino effect. Will probably start to fall there. But we'll get a uh, in depth report from Steve Carney. Steve also is a uh, Navy veteran. So we're going to talk to Steve about the Army Navy game this week in Boston up at Foxborough. He has some great insight uh, as being a uh, former uh, member of the Navy about some of the pageantry related to that game. So you'll enjoy that uh, chat with with Steve about Army-Navy as well. So we'll have those guys coming up here in just a few minutes. Let's hit a couple things here in the... Uh, in the world of college football, again, all the controversy talks about is Florida, should Florida State have been left out? Should they have not been left out? Uh, I, I hate to say this, Florida State guy played there. I think the committee got it right. I think Florida State um, came up just a little bit short. This is an odd year where there was really six really, really, really deserving teams that could you could have made a very valid argument that they could have been in the playoff with Georgia, Florida State not making it. Obviously, you had the, the situation with Jordan Travis. A couple things to remember. I'm very convinced of this. Had Tate Rodemaker played well against Florida in the second to last game of the year, I think Florida State would have got the benefit of the doubt against Louisville with the third string quarterback playing. Remember, Rodemaker was the second string guy. He got hurt in the Florida in the Florida at the end of the Florida game. They did not play really well against Florida. He did not play really well against Florida. And also remember, Rodemaker played the two and a half quarters previously in the game before against North Alabama when Jordan Travis broke his leg. So there should not have been as much struggle as there was, to be honest with you, in my opinion, with how how, how much they struggled against Florida, who was a very below average, average to below average defense. And I know it was a tough environment in the swamp, and I get it. But Florida State had a ton, has a ton of weapons, receivers, running backs. They should have been much more functional than they were in Gainesville with Tate Rodemaker, who's been in that program for four years. Not like he's a true freshman as the backup quarterback. Rodemaker had been in that, has been in that program for four years, knows that system. He should, he did not play very well against Florida. And again, I think that part of the the, the decision was uh, why the committee really leaned on that performance to keep them out. Also, another thing to remember, the reason Florida State wasn't dropped from four to five after the Florida game leading into the Louisville game, in my view, was they didn't know that Rodemaker wasn't going to play in the Louisville game till Friday. Remember, the CFP rankings come out on Tuesday night, and as of Tuesday night, they, most people thought Rodemaker was going to play against Louisville, which would have gave him another opportunity to play well against Louisville to convince the committee that he was viable enough to be, to get them in the playoff. He didn't end up playing. The third-string guy played. We saw what happened in the Louisville game. Give all the credit to the defense. They played tremendous. But you cannot be a one-dimensional only team in the Final Four when you have so many other strong teams to compare against. Texas, Alabama. And obviously Alabama and Texas were going to be were going to be attached together. Once Alabama beat Georgia, Texas had to be in the playoff. If you're going to put Alabama in, Texas had to be in due to their head-to-head head-to-head win against uh, Alabama earlier in the year. Again, I don't I'm not a proponent that if you win every game, you're guaranteed a spot in a playoff. I think there's that's a part of the formula, but that's not the end all to say that you're in the playoff no matter what. Tough situation for Florida State. I get the anger. I get the venom. But I think ultimately give the committee credit. They didn't do the easy thing. They made the tough, tough decision 
to put in who they thought was the four best teams in the country, and that's what the the playoff ought to be. It's not about deserving and, oh, it's a feel-good story. you got to put in four teams that you think can win a national championship, and I just do not think Florida State, in their given circumstance with no Jordan Travis, could win two more football games to win a national title. Maybe wrong, who knows, but just that's just what I think. And again, Rini and Goli and I will get into this a little more. We'll go through the scenarios. You'll hear his thoughts as well about whether he thought the committee got it right as well in just a few minutes. So, um, all right, let's transition to the uh, National Football League. A couple huge games. Again, Monday Night Football in Jacksonville, the big injury with Trevor Lawrence. We don't know the extent of how long he's out. Probably not going to play this week, most likely. I would anticipate probably out at least one week, maybe two, but we will see a ugly-looking ankle injury in Monday Night Football. Huge win for the Bengals. Jake Browning played really, really well. Give him all the credit, but a bad loss for the Jaguars in a game they should have won against the uh, Cincinnati Bengals Monday night. want to thank the Pittsburgh Steelers for ruining my uh, survivor pool. I had made it to the final 45 or so people out of about 550, and of course, I take the Pittsburgh Steelers against a one-win Arizona Cardinal team in Pittsburgh. All the inspiration and the motivation in the world to win that game, and they just throw a complete dud out there. Combine that with two rain delays, lightning delays. Combine that with Kenny Pickett getting hurt in the second quarter and having to play the whole second half with Trent Mitch Trubisky. Uh, couple that with Pittsburgh getting stopped on the one-yard line right after Pickett gets hurt. What a disaster for me in my in my survivor pool. My survivor season is now over thanks to the Pittsburgh Steelers and the killers that they are when it comes to uh, uh, survivor pool for Jason in 2023. Interesting news out of Dallas. Mike McCarthy suffers, uh, has an appendix surgery on Wednesday. We don't know what his status will be on Sunday night going into that showdown with the Eagles. Remember, McCarthy's the play caller as well, so potentially a big loss, especially if he misses two or a couple of days of work, which most likely he'll have to miss with an appendix surgery, and an emergency appendix surgery. Mike McCarthy not, do not know his status. Schottenheimer is the, is the de facto um, offensive coordinator, but we know McCarthy's calling plays in Dallas. They have been rolling on offense this year with the last six, seven weeks with Dak Prescott, Brandon Cooks, uh, C.D. Lamb. Uh, but So we will see how that affects the Cowboys going into that Sunday night showdown. Remember, if the Cowboys win this game, they'll be tied in the loss column with the Eagles, and pretty much uh, that will huge game for the Eagles as well because, remember, Philly loses to San Francisco last week in a beatdown in Philadelphia. So it means the uh, 49ers have the uh, the Eagles are still one game ahead of the 49ers in the loss column, but they will lose the tiebreaker. So just a critical game for the Eagles and Dallas on Sunday night in Dallas. Sunday night football with uh, Collinsworth and Tarico. And again, you have... Uh, the uh, both conferences are number one seeds are very much up in the air. In the in the AFC, you have a huge game in Kansas City, Buffalo in a must win game coming off the bye in Kansas City. Who then who lost last week in Green Bay? You got Kansas City, you got Baltimore, you got Miami vying for the number one seed, potentially Jacksonville as well, but probably not now with the, with the uh, Lawrence injury. So a huge game in Buffalo trying to play for their playoff lives. Uh, they're they're a team. If they get in the playoffs, nobody's going to want to play them as a six or seven seed. 
But again, this is a huge game for both Kansas City and Buffalo uh, for playoff seating and such. You got Baltimore playing the Rams in a pretty good game on Sunday. You got Miami playing on Monday night against the Titans at home. Expect them to win. Miami has a great chance to get the number one seed in the AFC with that schedule and that offense. If they can get home games in Miami in January, they will be a tough out with that offense. Uh, Obviously, in the NFC, it's going to be San Francisco, Philadelphia, Dallas. If Philly loses this week, San Francisco will be the one seed most likely unless they lose. Again, uh, San Francisco was a wrecking crew last week in Philadelphia. What a performance by the 49ers. You just can tell when they are fully healthy, they are the best team in the NFC in my view. Uh, Again, Debo Samuels, huge day. Uh, Brock Purdy, a huge day. McCaffrey, a really good day. And the defense played really well, shutting down that tired Philip. Remember, the Eagles have come up, come, coming through a gauntlet on their schedule. Dallas, Buffalo, Kansas City, Phil, and then they had San Francisco. They got Dallas again this week. Um, so just a huge gauntlet of games for Philadelphia. Are they tired? Or is their secondary not very good? The defense has not been very good. Remember, they signed Darius Leonard this week. So we'll see how that, uh, Shaquille Leonard. So we'll see how that helps the defense, if if at all. But again, huge game uh, in the NFC. Philadelphia, Dallas. You got San Francisco, Seattle. Baltimore, the Rams. Got Tampa and Atlanta. Huge game in the NFC South. That will probably decide, potentially decide that division. So pretty good uh, slate of NFC. Playoff deciding games this week in the, in the National Football League that, uh, coupled with the quarterback injuries around the league, is creating some drama here as we get to the uh, the back half of the uh, the regular season, the last five weeks of the regular season. So, um, NBA Final Four is set in Vegas. You're going to have, I believe, it's going to be L.A. and New Orleans, the Pelicans. And in the East, you're going to have Milwaukee and Indiana, the two semifinal games in Vegas. And then you'll have the finals on Saturday night in Vegas. So uh, there's your little midseason tournament there uh, with, with, with the uh, the game. I think the winning team, every player gets $500,000. The, um, the games are in Vegas. And again, speaking of Vegas, shout out to the Vegas UNLV community with the tragic... Uh, uh, school shooting on campus today, uh, multiple people dead, just terrible situation. Be interesting to see how that's uh, handled and take uh, you know addressed with the, with the NBA guys out there this weekend as well. So just a tough situation out there and on the UNLV campus. A shout out to those guys. They had a really good football year this year in football, but again, tough situation with the uh, with the uh, school shooter on campus today, killing multiple people. Um, and again. Give a shout-out to my guy, uh, Joe Pike, and high school playoffs out, up in Alabama. You got high school playoff championships all throughout the country. Most this weekend and last weekend, most of your state champions in high school are getting crowned. So shout-out to those young men and, and women that are playing high school football for championships all over the uh, the country for a state title here. So good luck to all those teams. All right, before we get to Reenie and Steve Carter, let me give you three picks for the weekend. Um, I like Kansas City minus the one and a half at home against Buffalo. I just think at home I'll take I'll take Patrick Mahomes at Arrowhead. The defense will play better than they did against Green Bay. I know it's a desperation game for the Bills, but I like Kansas City in that running game to do just enough good game. But I'll take Kansas City at minus the one and a half at home. I like Las Vegas plus the three at home against Minnesota. Uh, again, Minnesota coming off the bye week. They're sticking with Josh Dobbs, who played terrible, uh, terribly against uh, Chicago a couple Monday nights ago. 
Probably going to have Jordan Jefferson, or I mean Justin Jefferson, back at wide receiver, so that will help. But I think Vegas with Devontae, with jo Josh Jacobs, give me Las Vegas plus the three at home, and I like a two-team teaser: Baltimore, New Orleans. Tease down Baltimore against the Rams. Tease down New Orleans at home against Carolina in a must-win game. Derek Carr, we don't know what's going to happen there. Wouldn't be surprised at all if Jameis Winston plays. He played okay last week in relief. But again, this is a must-win game for New Orleans. I'll take New Orleans and Baltimore in a two-team teaser at home uh, this weekend. Uh, those are your three picks for you. And again, uh, Army-Navy, always a classic game. If you've never watched it, watch the game on Saturday, the pageantry, pregame, postgame. Just some dramatic uh, dramatic scene there. They're playing in Foxborough up at uh, Gillette Stadium this week. Uh, and you'll get, again, you're going to hear about Steve from Steve Carney, give his thoughts on the game and where he thinks the game ought to be played uh, every year as opposed to kind of a rotational system, which is what they do now. So you'll enjoy that chat with Steve Carney, and he'll also give you some updates about the, the Major League Baseball winter meetings in Nashville. So appreciate you finding us. Remember, JPO Sports on Twitter and X. You can find the video uh, interviews with Steve Carney and Rini and Golia on my YouTube channel, Jason Power Sports Channel. All the archived videos are there as well from the uh, podcast. You can also go back to the uh, the Heisman Trophy is being is going to be given out this weekend as well. Penix, um, Knicks, I believe it's Penix, Knicks, uh, Jaden Daniels, and Marvin Harrison Jr. the finalist. Um, I'm going to go Michael Penix Jr. kind of in an upset over Jaden Daniels. Penix is the Tampa kid. And you can also hear my interview I did with Charlie Ward 30 years after he won the Heisman back in 1993. Go go archive the podcast with myself and Charlie Ward, <coughs> excuse me, from a couple weeks back. You'll enjoy that chat. We talk Heisman Trophy as well. So <coughs> hard to believe it's been 30 years since Charlie Ward from Florida State won the Heisman, but it has. Heisman Trophy's given out this weekend as well in New York. Give me Michael Penix, the Tampa kid, to win the Heisman Trophy in a close one over Jaden Daniels. Even though Daniels has better stats, he lost three games. I like Michael Penix Jr. to win the Heisman Trophy in New York this weekend. So there you go. Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy Steve. Enjoy Rini and Golia. And we'll see you next time. If you have any questions, again, reach out to me on Twitter. I'd love to hear your feedback, your comments. Tell your friends about the podcast. We try to cover all the, the world of sports throughout the year, whether it's college football, college basketball, NFL. We'll get into March Madness coming up here in the next couple of months. So, And obviously any big free agent news in the world of baseball. So we got you covered um, as well here on the Powers on Sports podcast. Appreciate you finding us. And don't let's get to the get to the grocery get to the shop get shopping here. Only two weeks left till Christmas. So hard to believe we're almost here. Get out and do some shopping. Think about your loved ones. Tell your loved ones you love them. And oh, I forgot. I got to give you a little clock scenario. What is Mike McCarthy doing last week? Uh, not using the clock in the game with the Cowboys. Uh, not burning 40 seconds off the clock in the Cowboys game on Thursday night against Seattle. You have to do that, Mike. You can't throw the ball on third down when Seattle has no timeouts. You can't throw the ball in the end zone on a fade route when it's third and four. Either run the ball or you have to throw a guaranteed completion to keep the ball in bounds and keep the clock running when Seattle has no timeout. So not a good job there with the clock. I didn't like how, how they handled the clock there with uh, McCarthy and the Cowboys last week. So there's your clock management issue of the week. 
And again, we will highlight issues that come up all throughout the, the they happen every week. And by the way, a brutal no call of pass interference in the Green Bay game on Sunday night football. We all saw the long, deep post route to Valdez Scantling. And it's equally a brutal call on the late hit on, on Mahomes by the Green Bay DB when Mahomes was nowhere near being out of bounds. Didn't like those two calls um, at all. And I wish my officiating brethren would be a little bit more on top of what on, on top of the situation and what they are. They're just missing too many calls that are kind of right in front of them kind of calls. And I just don't understand what some of these guys are looking at because it's, you know, some of the, the calls that they're missing, the ones that we're all going nuts about are in the world of officiating pretty black and white. Most of them are pretty uh, straightforward calls that, I, that I'm having a hard time believing why they're missing. But, but they are. Um, again, there's lots of uh, justifications and reasons that you can make for why they're missing them. But, man, the two brutal calls in that game Sunday night, not a good look for the for the NFL officials heading to the home stretch here. So hopefully the officiating will get a little more consistent and will get better and we'll have a uh, great uh, end of the regular season into the playoffs. So, all right, enjoy Steve Carney, Rennie, and Golia. Analysis, college football playoff, winter meetings, and Army-Navy. Appreciate you finding us, and see you next time on the Powers on Sports podcast. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market for a new home? Are you looking to get into a, a single-family residence, condo, townhouse, duplex, whatever it is? If you need financing help to get pre-approved, which you need to do, reach out to Titan Home Lending and Jason Powers. We'll get you approved in less than 24 hours. We'll get you qualified, figure out what you can afford, and we will get you in a position to be able to make that offer. So reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending. We can help you with an FHA loan, a VA loan if you're a veteran, a conventional loan, a bank statement loan. We can help you with a investment property, a second home. Whatever their financing needs are, reach out to me, Titan Home Lending and Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. All right, welcome in to Back to the Podcast. We, we are going to talk a little college football playoff. We're going to talk a little bowl season, and we are going to talk a little uh, college football final four here with Mr. Rini Ingolia. He is an ESPN analyst. He was a two-time All-American running back at University of Massachusetts back in the day, back when I was even playing. He is even a 2024 College Football Hall of Fame ballot uh, consideration, meaning he could be going to the College Football Hall of Fame next year, and he's a 2007 University of Massachusetts Hall of Famer. Welcome into your debut appearance on the podcast, Mr. Reedy. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's my pleasure. All right. Take me back to your days at UMass a little bit, playing running back. How fun! I mean, just talk about the the glory—not the glory, but just the enjoyment you had playing. You had such a successful career, two-time All-American at UMass. You were a 1999 World Bowl champion in professional football. Talk about that world that that experience playing overseas. Yeah, I mean, first of all, going back to UMass. I mean, obviously, I think we can all agree college football is much different today than it was in the early 90s when I played. Um, you can say for the better, for the worse. It's just different, right? I think yep. we can all agree on that. Listen, and, you know, uh, I was I was pretty highly, heavily recruited coming out of high school in Rochester, New York. I tore my ACL my senior year. So you do that in the late 80s, early 90s, you're just yep. done. So 
University of Massachusetts, a uh, smaller Division One school, was the only school in the country that gave me a full scholarship. So obviously I went there, got to start for four years, became an All-American, had a really nice career there. I mean, I owe everything I've done in football and accomplished in football to that place. It's great. I mean, I'm a huge supporter of them now. They're going through a rough patch. Uh, for those that don't know, they, they're not in a conference. They play independent. Right. It's uh, There's a one only one school that can live in the independent world, and that's Notre Dame. And even Notre Dame, as soon as that NBC money stops, they're going to get into a conference. So, and I, you know, I talked to the athletic director, Ryan Bamford this week. I know he's working really hard for the athletic program there to get them into a conference. So hopefully they will, but yeah, my playing days was great. I, I you know, like all of us, um, you know, I miss the relationships. The good, the one good thing about social media as crappy as it is when we, you know, just <laughs> hear the crappy things people say, it keeps you uh, in touch with people. Yes. Uh, and so that part of it's great. Um, but it was good. I like to tell people I had a cup and a half of coffee in the NFL. I was with the, the Redskins for a season on practice squad. Then I was with the Bills for a couple couple seasons, made the 53-man roster, and then finished it off, as you said, in 1999, played in the NFL Europe, uh, won the World Bowl with the Frankfurt Galaxy. Jake DeLone was our quarterback. So that's a great memory. The last time I ever touched a football um, we won a championship and I got to score a touchdown in that game. So I always have that fond memory. And you got to play when kind of the growth of football in Europe was just taken off about, you know, playing overseas yeah. and the culture. Just talk about that experience of playing in front of people who really didn't know the game very well and just kind of teaching them the game as you went along. Germany loves American football. They do. Uh, they Back when we've been, I don't know if they changed it now, but they didn't call it tailgating. They called it power partying because they can <laughs> drink over there. So they love American football. And you saw that the NFL finally went there this year. They'll definitely go back to Germany because it doesn't matter where in Germany you are. They really like American football. And let, let's face it, the NFL, football in general, is the number one sport here in America. They have to try to grow it, uh, uh, you know, in Europe. And I think they will. And it would not surprise me in the next four, five, six years, something like that. We're, for, there's probably going to be NFL franchises in Europe. They'll, they'll make it happen. There's no doubt about it. And that's where the growth is right now. Speaking of partying, all, are all the rumors true about how, how Amherst is, a, is party central? <laughs> Zoom ass. Yes, it was. And so when I went there, I want to say when I went there, undergrad was about 20,000. Graduate students was about 8,000. I think they're now, I think they're up, uh, undergrads, they're up over 30 and uh, with graduate students, well over 40,000, approaching that 50,000 mark. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a party school. I just wish, so the University of Massachusetts, we're in Western Mass, right, Amherst Mass. So it's kind of, and it's the flagship university for the state. But it kind of just gets pushed out there in the West because Boston is Boston. Right. And uh, I'm not afraid to say this. They do not give the support that they need to to the flagship university, which is the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. You know, when I went there, Jason, I always looked at it uh, that I said, man, this could be a University of Michigan. This could be a Penn State. They have the all the room Coast, in the world. For the East Coast. Yep. Yes, they have all the room in the world to build a beautiful stadium. And they, that stadium, Warren McGurk Alumni Stadium, was built in the 60s. They haven't done a thing to it. Now they've upgraded to the press box, and they put an end zone football facility there, locker room, weight room, which is beautiful. The stadium in and of itself, they haven't done a thing. They have to put money into that university. And so hopefully the powers to be in Boston do, but – to be frank, they just don't they don't care enough about the University of Massachusetts and Amherst. Right. They need to, yeah. 
They need and to. You were there, and weren't you there during the kind of the heyday of Calipari? I, I was Calipari. Right there. Yep. Yep. Still talk to Marcus Canby today. Um, great basketball program. Yeah. The problem, and it kind of it's an actual great question. The problem that I think a lot of hardcore uh, University of Massachusetts athletic fans, the older fans do, they think about those glory basketball days, which is great. Those days are gone. Um, we live in a world where basketball is a big deal. Uh, football's driving the bus. Basketball's on the bus, but football yep. drives it. Just, just the way it is. I didn't make yep. it that way. You look at TV money and what's going sure. on, you have to get behind your football program, and then all the other sports will benefit from that. And there's been people reluctant to do that. You know, everyone talks about the Atlantic 10. The Atlantic 10 was a great basketball conference. It was. It's not what it used to be, you know. Yep. So I think the athletic department needs to look elsewhere and just kind of look at the look at the uh, you know the, the floor plan out there of what's going on in college athletics. And I think they're doing it. All right, let's get to some football now. Let's get to the playoff. Sure. The playoff rankings, obviously, here in the state of Florida, big impact. Uh, obviously, you had uh, you got Michigan one, Washington two, Texas three, Alabama four. Obviously, outside of the floor, and we're going to get to the Florida State discussion here in a second. Sure. The top four, did you have any uh, any qualms with who was rated where in the top four? I didn't, and I didn't. And I think the committee kind of boxed themselves in, uh, and I know we'll get into it. Um, it's amazing that it took 10 years to happen what happened this year, and it's ironic that it happened the last year because we should be in 12. This year. we should, Jason, we should be arguing about seedings this year, not who's yes. in and who's out, but we'll get into that. Uh, I I'm kind of going back. Four's right, and we can get into that after. Um, but they, the committee tied themselves, uh, Texas and, and Alabama, together the way they did, and head-to-head -head mattered. So if one went in, the other one was going in, and they had to see right. it correctly. But I think it, I, I think it's right. I think they got it right at one through four. All right. Um, and, yeah, that's, that was, that's what I've told people for the last several days is, you're right, the tie with it. Rarely have we had a situation where two of the top four played each other. One beat them, and then you had obviously the, and they both won their conference. So you had that that the dilemma of yeah. you take them both, you take neither, and and all that stuff. And, and and head to me, you're right. Head to head matters. You have to that that's the result that has to matter if you're gonna if you're gonna evaluate these teams as a head to head situation. Yep. All right, let's get to Florida State. Your thoughts. First of all, my first question is, does does an undefeated season, should that guarantee you a spot? Uh, no. And, I mean, and it's it's in there, you know, if you look at kind of the bylaws of the college football play. Now, we can, we can argue it. Right. But in their rule system, it undefeated has nothing to do with it, right? I mean, if you if it, if it did, Liberty would be yelling. And there's right. been other schools, you know. So, um, and, and as I said before, this system was designed to leave a power five program out, right? There's only four spots. There's five power program and five power conferences um, this year. Anyway, um, it's amazing that this hasn't happened before. Right. And that's that to me. Listen, I feel horrible for Florida state and their players. I know Mike Norvell. I've covered him a ton when he was at Memphis. I have a really good relationship with him. I think he did a great job this year coaching. If you go back, I opened my season week one at Miami, and uh, we went through, you know, the, the uh, preseason selections for the ACC. And I said on that show, and I got tape of it, I believe this is a year uh, Florida State wins the ACC and makes it into the college football yeah. playoff. They clearly would have made it. Yes. Based on the committee's rules, 
once Jordan Travis got hurt, they were done. And I knew, and I knew that back then. Yeah. I said they're in trouble. They're in trouble because I knew that caveat was in there. And I knew, and I'm paraphrasing, if you lose a player right. uh, that could could adversely affect what the team looked like and what the team will look like in the right. playoff, they take that in just as much consideration as head to head as yeah. conference champion. And when that happened, I said they're they're in trouble. And ultimately that's what happened. And, and this is a, this was a rare year too, because most years it had worked itself out. Somebody would lose when they weren't supposed to lose. Yeah. This was a year where you had legitimately six really good teams for four spots and five really good conference champions for four spots. Yeah, and I'm almost to the. I mean, I think what really pissed Florida State fans off is once. Jordan Travis got hurt in, in that North Alabama. And oh, by the way, and again, I'm a huge Florida State fan, and no one's yep. talked about this. They were down 13 nothing yes. in North Alabama, who's yes. not even a good FCS school, right? Forcing Florida State to, to kind of put the gas pedal on, and that's ultimately where he got hurt. I'm not saying right. that's why he got hurt, right? But you're down 13 nothing that game, should have never been there, right? Right? I don't think they went into that game with the right mindset. And I watched that entire game, and even though they end up scoring 50 something points and blowing them out, Florida State did not look good in that game, but went through the motions, went through the not look good in it. So, but I think we're, when when Travis got hurt by the committee leaving them, and then ultimately the next week, I think put them back into four. That's what really hurt, you know, bothered people. And I agree with that. You know, you, you look back at what Ohio State did because there was a precedent there with the injuries, right? Yeah. Um, they put a new uh, a quarterback in, Cardale Jones. Cardale Jones. Jones. He goes off. They win fifty nine nothing. If Rodemaker has a really good performance against Florida. Yes, they get the benefit having, of the doubt. They get correct. the benefit of the doubt. I don't think we're having this conversation now where my qualm is with the committee is if, if they kind of knew and they're reading the tea leaves what could happen if, if Alabama beats Georgia. After that Florida game, they probably should have dropped Florida State back one or two spots, keep them in you know reach, but they didn't. They kept them in the four spot. And I think that's what's hard for people – to, to fathom. So, you know, I, I am almost like, we haven't even talked about Georgia. Right. They dropped Georgia to six. I mean, if Georgia beats Alabama, they could have still knocked Florida State out and put right. Texas in. I think right. Alabama would have been the team out. So I guess we'll never know that. Again, should have never came down to this. We should have been in the 12 team playoff this year. And then we could have been outraged about seedings, which is much different than getting left out. With that said, I think if you're a Florida State fan, Jason, you still have to understand, hey, you're going to New Year's Six, yeah. you're going to the Orange Bowl, you're going to a huge game, and you're playing Georgia. That, I mean, that, that's actually your gift from not making in, which is nuts. And then, you know, but who plays in these games, right? Who opts out, who right. doesn't? But you still, have a, you still have a chance to really go there. And, you know, you go there to the Orange Bowl and you knock off Georgia, then that makes the committee look bad, right? So that, that's what you have a chance to do right now. Two points on Florida State. I want to make that again. A lot of people don't don't realize. Had like you talked about, had Rodemaker played well at Florida, they they would have. And the reason they stayed at four, I think, is because we didn't know till Friday before the Louisville game that Rodemaker wasn't going to play. They yeah. were going to give Rodemaker another chance to play well against Louisville. Had he played well against Louisville, I think they would have found a way to keep Florida State in. I mean. And say what you want, you can't go for 130 yards at Gainesville with your backup quarterback. It's hard to yeah. against a not a very good Florida team. That's just the bottom line. And they were yeah. not good.
No, I, I agree. And, you know, the, the other thing, I lost my train of thought, but uh, looking at the college football playoff and, and their criteria, and I've said this forever because I'm on TV, and there was a lot of confusion this year, and I don't know with a lot of the pundits, um, deserving versus best. Right. Deserving is not a word that the right. committee considers. I mean, you've got – there's there's seven or eight teams deserving. You just t- deserving is on it. It's the four best. Now we can argue who the four best is, but guess but guess who gets to say who the four best are? The thirteen committee members. I mean that's that's the way the system was set up by the college presidents and the commissioners, and they went through it. And you know I know it's hard. And I live in Florida. I'm right here in Orlando. Yeah, me. And I know you are too. And I know and a lot of Florida state fans that I'm friends with texted me. And I said, listen, I know it's hard, but without Jordan Travis, the committee got it right. They put the four best teams in, right? They just did. And you can argue, well, Georgia's still on the top four. And I believe they are, but by losing head to head in the conference championship, they lose that, that data point of conference yeah. champion. Yeah. And so you have to put Alabama in there. And then we already talked about Alabama and Texas being tied right. together. We saw what right. Texas did in their championship game. And so that's what the committee did. And ultimately, I think the committee got it right. It sucks for Florida State. I get it. You do everything you're asked to do. 13-0, and 0, you win your conference championship. But when it comes down to the top four teams, you lost your, your starting quarterback, who was phenomenal, who was arguably in the uh, Heisman Trophy great. race yeah. as well. And you put your backup in, and that's what you get. The committee saw that, you know, and it's just it's unfortunate. No, I'm with you. I th- and I and I give the committee credit because the easy thing to do yeah, was Florida State at four. I mean, we've always complained. Well, precedent, precedent, precedent. That doesn't mean the precedent was good the last nine yeah, years. I, what the I didn't committee think did. I didn't think they were going to do it either. Um, but I but I think but I think they got it right with what they were working with under yes. their system. Yep, they got it right. And here's the other scenario that's never happened, but easily could have could have happened one year. What if all five power conference teams went undefeated? Well, right. somebody I, would get left out. Th- again, that system was set up to fail like that. Amazing that it took to this last year. Um, I just cannot wait till we get to twelve because I just think it's going to be fantastic. It's going to bring more more yep. teams into the equation. It's going to bring the little uh, guy. It's going to give the liberty of Boise's of the world a chance. Yeah, so I cannot wait for that next year. All right, so what do you give me a quick synopsis? What do you think in the semifinals? Who, what do you think in the matchups? Alabama, Michigan, and then Texas and Washington. Yeah, I just think uh, I listen. I how about this Rose Bowl matchup, right? Michigan, yeah. Alabama. Did you see um, when they had the camera on Michigan when they found out Alabama was in and not Florida State? Just kind of <laughs> like, oh boy, because that's a team that's. Listen, I was down on them early. I, I didn't I thought Milrow was playing yep. not good. I just didn't think it was – I didn't think they were close to an Alabama team that we've right. seen in the past. This is arguably uh, Nick Saban's best coaching performance ever, um, what he's done with this team. And I think they're peaking at the right time. I think Milrow has got – I give the kids so much credit because of what he went through and then how he just kept building and getting better and better and better. With that said, I like Alabama uh, in that game. I do too. And then, you know, Texas and Washington. Listen, it, it, it's a shame we haven't even talked about it. Arguably the best year the Pac-12's had in a long, yeah. long, long time, and now the conference is going to put. Uh, 
Thank yep. you, TV Money and Football Driving the Bus. We already talked about yeah, that. Right. Um, with that said, uh, Texas is for real. I think Texas's defensive line, offensive line. You know, I'm an old school guy, Jason. You already talked about how old I am playing back when I did. I don't care how fancy your offense is, up tempo. You know, snap. You know, USF and Tampa snap the ball every seven seconds. Go quick. I don't care what kind of offense you you run. The game is won and lost at the line of scrimmage on yeah. both sides. It is just no. it just is to this day. It still is, and that's where I give Texas the advantage over Washington. So I, I think we're we're destined to see a, a rematch, uh, okay. Alabama Texas in, in the championship. I'm with you. I, I think I'm with you because that, that that's the one part of where Texas program has elevated under Sarkeesian are the defensive lines and offensive line of scrimmage, the toughness and the physicality. Yeah they didn't have with other coaches i agree and so uh and, and how ironic is it also i mean so really we have we quasi this year we have two sec teams and two big 10 teams in this thing you know because obviously they're they're going into the conferences next year and the last point we'll move on to a little some a little more uh state of florida flavor the acc commissioner was the guy against going to 12 teams this year yeah could have had 12 this year yeah and and so listen i, I get it they were upset uh, but it was kind of like, you know, uh, you know, we're upset that Texas and Oklahoma is going. And so this is what we're going to do. But like, it ultimately didn't better anyone. And so right. now we look at it, his team doesn't get in. Uh, the PAC 12 doesn't even have a conference anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just, it's kind of nuts. And then, you know, the big 10 was sitting there in, in good shape and I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking, but yeah, um, it's kind of crazy how things end up. All right, let's go to the state of Florida a little bit, a couple of Florida points. Give me your thoughts. You're right there in Orlando. Give me a thought or two about UCF's first year in the Big 12, just the transition and, you know, how Gus handled that and the program yeah. transitioning. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, I said, if they can go 6-6, six 7-5, and six, seven and five, get to a bowl game in that first year, that's a success, okay? Fans in college football, all fans, just not UCF fans, they can get a little delusional, right? Oh, we're going to come right in. We're going to win the conference first year. Listen, it's great to hope that and think it but you also have to be realistic i mean just in college football in general someone said this the other day and i i could not agree more when teams have 10 win seasons we kind of like scoff at oh, oh they didn't win the championship they, like you look at an lsu they win their bowl game they're going to win 10 games they're going to be 10 and 3 that is a phenomenal season we don't give teams enough credit yep for getting 10 wins or like a UCF transitioning into a power five conference, getting to a bowl game. Now, listen, the Baylor game just derailed their season. They were up, right. I think 35, seven in that game at home. You can't lose that game. They ultimately let that title wave into a couple more losses, but they fought back really hard at the end of the season, got to bowl eligibility. Good for them. And listen, they're going to be playing in Tampa, the Georgia O'Leary bowl. They're playing Georgia tech. They get a good opponent. Yep. They can really finish their season off with a with a strong win. Um, so if you're a UCF fan, ultimately, yes, it could have been better by a couple games, but you got to a bowl game. Um, you're going to build on next year. I think you're in a really good position. So if I'm a UCF fan, I'm happy. Is Gus Malzahn the guy for that job, you think, long term? Yeah, he's not going anywhere. I've had conversations with him. He likes to say uh, he's on about he's on the back nine. He's on about the 16th hole. Yep. So how, however long it takes him to play 16, 17, 18, I think he ends his career at UCF. I don't, I don't think there's any question about that. 
Let's go to USF. Year one, Alex Golish. What a job turning that around, getting bowl eligible. Uh, you know, they lost maybe lost a game or so. They maybe shouldn't have lost. But again, they take Alabama, they play Alabama really tough. We we yes. talked about the struggles. I was I was in the building that day, played them really well for three and a half quarters. What are your thoughts, Alex Golish, year one? Alex Golish is not getting enough credit nationally on what a great job he did coaching. Yep. You know this, Jason. Look at the program. The three years before he got there, what the, yeah. was it? Three wins total, right? Four, I think four, but four. Okay, four but maybe four two wins. Division One wins, it, two FCS wins. Correct. He comes in, gets him the bowl eligibility. I mean, to me, that's coach of the year stuff. Yeah. Now, I have a good, I have a good relationship with the American Athletic Conference. I was in, I was in New Orleans uh, for the championship game this week, and I was talking to some people, and they said, "Oh, yeah, I brought this up," and they said, "Oh." We know the USF fans are hammering, hammering us on social media. And they, they know what a great job Alex Golish did. So if you're a USF fan, you are thrilled. Because you really didn't know what you were getting with, with Alex Golish. I mean, before they hired Golish, uh, there was rumors about Deion Sanders. And, and right. there's no doubt, you know, from what I hear, Deion was interested in the job. But, yeah. you know, Deion's salary and his, his laundry list of wishes, you know, a lot of schools just can't do it. Right. Another another one that I thought was going to come to USF, and I think they were interested in it and would have been a great hire, was Jamie Chadwell. Okay. But you go to Liberty, Liberty's paying him $4.5 million. Right. USF can't do that right now. So you get Alex Golish thinking, end up this based on this year, slam dunk, home run. Now, nope. now if you're USF, you got to put your, your money where your mouth is. You got a coach that got you to a bowl game. He said, I saw him on social media. They're going to break ground this summer on their football State, performance yep. center. They already have a beautiful indoor facility. I saw it this year when I went yep. up there and did a game. And you got to break ground on that stadium. First, it, that uh, on-campus stadium has to get done. When they do that, they're going to be a force to be wrecking with because it's going to up their attendance. It's really easy for the fans, the, the students just to walk over. They showed me where they're putting it. They're putting it in a beautiful spot. So now, yep. now it's, you know, Full foot forward supporting that program, but I could not say enough of great things about what Alex Golish did this year. Now we'll see. They get a great opponent too. They get to go down to the Boca Bowl. They get to play Syracuse, who's transitioning new coach. coach. So they can really cap this season off with a winning record, go seven and six, and that'll really catapult them into next year. I'm surprised that the Gasparilla Bowl didn't pit USF and UCF. That would have been a I understand why they didn't do it because they want people traveling into town a little yeah. bit. I get that, but that would, from a state perspective, that had been a hell of a well, to rekindle that rivalry. A lot of people wanted to see it. Remember, remember when UCF played Florida last year? Yes, they sold it out. They yes. sold that stadium out. So, uh, yeah, that would have been that would have been a good one um, to see for sure. But, but I like the two matchups nonetheless for both those programs. Give me a thought on Miami. Obviously, Miami with the disastrous no kneel down situation that really turned there. Not that they were going to be a national title contender, but at that moment they were undefeated and had some momentum. What are your What are your thoughts? Van Dyke's leaving as the quarterback, kind of another so-so yeah. Mario coaching wise. What do you think's going on in Miami? I you I agree with you one hundred percent. So I did their opener against Miami Ohio, where they looked decent, but I also said on that broadcast. When you look up, this Miami-Ohio team is going to have eight, nine, ten wins. Oh, by the way, they ended up with 11. I think they ended up 11-2, and two, won the MAC. I knew they were a good team. Uh, Miami was vastly improved this year. I know the record was only improved by a couple wins. Um, 
But the, the kneel, the, the 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 lack of the kneel down just crushed them. That cost them to me two wins. So would they end up seven and five? Right. I right. think they probably should have been a nine and three team. They probably yep. would have ended up there. Yep. Mario is on a big. He's on a three year plan. Okay. He is. He has said that. So. Um, you know, Van Tyke ended up going through what he went through. Um, so listen, the transfer portal for the quarterback position is unreal. Insane. I've never That's seen insane. anything like it. Never seen anything like it in my life. Have um, your checkbook ready. Have your well, checkbook so, ready. You know, my wife asked me the other day, I said, Oh, Dylan Gabriel's leaving Oklahoma. She's like, He is? What's he got? <laughs> one year left? I yes, that someone's gonna buy him for a year. Someone's probably gonna give him two million dollars to go play for a year. Yeah. NIL yeah. ended up getting tied to the transfer portal, which uh, that was an unintended consequence. So they yeah. need to fix that. NIL and transfer portal in and of itself is okay. I think they need to tweak the portal a little bit too. I had some ideas about that, but we'll see what they do. But, but with that said, uh, Miami going in the right direction. I don't think anyone can argue that they, they, and the other thing too, Mario's doing a hell of a job and he knew he would do this recruiting, right? Yeah. He's keeping kids home in South Florida that they were losing. That's a big deal. Um, he shored up his offense and defensive lines, which we talked about. So they're, they're going in the right direction. There's no doubt about it. Just, yeah, that, that, that the fact that they didn't take that kneel down and lost to Georgia tech the way they did kind of it's inexcusable. Them, it's inexcusable. It is. It is. Yep. It's inexcusable. All right, give me a thought on Billy Napier. Kind of another tough finish, lose five in a row. I think the losing five in a row is the hard part at the end there. They were more competitive. They played competitive in a few in games that they lost. I give him credit. Yeah. But next year, I think he's definitely on the blazing hot seat. So I think the best thing for Billy Napier, and I covered Billy Napier a ton in the Sun Belt when he was in yep. uh, Louisiana. I think the best thing for N Billy Napier – is what Mike Norvell's doing down the street at Tallahassee. Because remember, Norvell was getting, you know, who's this guy? Who's this guy? And the best thing that Florida State did was they had patience. Right. They let it work itself out. They let him coach. And then now look where he's gotten them. So I think right. if you're a Florida fan, you're looking like, let's, let's be a little more patient because these teams, these programs don't have the patience. So I think if they give him the patience, ultimately he can do it. But – we just talked about it with the transfer portal, with everything that's going on. You you can you can lose some key pieces quick. But you can also gain some uh, key pieces quick. So I think if they're patient with him, he'll get them there. Listen, he runs a different style uh, program, different style of offense than I think Florida is used to. Right. Um, he runs the football in, in a little different way. Ultimately, though, Jason, if you win, I think the fans will buy into it. But you got to win. You just talked about it. All those losses at the end uh, really hurt. So, but we'll see. I think that you know, next year, though, is, is big. It's a big year for him. All right. We'll get you out of here. Talk, talk. Give us a little uh, forecast into the future. I know you got a couple bowl games coming up. Give us a little of your, of your schedule here the next month. Yeah. So, I will know after this week, either Friday night, December 15th or Saturday, or yeah, Friday night, December 15th or Saturday, December 16th, when bowl season kicks off. I'll start off with an FCS semifinal, which I'm looking forward to. So the, the one seed is South Dakota State. They won last year. Two seeds, Montana. I think they're going to hold form. So I'll either be up there in Montana or, or South Dakota State. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, bowl that next week. I'll have a post Christmas bowl. I got the military bowl. Good matchup. Tulane uh, in Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech out of the ACC. Uh, uh, Brent Key did a nice job. And then, of course, with Tulane, 
you know, does Michael Pratt stay? Does he opt out? Right, I mean, that plays right. a lot into that bowl game. I got a feeling knowing that young man, he's going to play in that bowl game, but we'll see. Um, and then uh, I, I'll fly back home, Orlando, the Pop-Tart Bowl, which is a really good matchup. North Carolina State, Kansas State. Of course, Kansas State's quarterback's already in the transfer portal. So, again, nuts. What their, OC, their OC just went to Texas A&M this morning. Yeah. Colin so, Klein. I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to keep track. It's just so hard. But I'll be doing that game for ESPN National Radio, so that's always a fun one. So that I'll end my season with that one just like I did last year. I ended it last year. It was called the Cheez It Bowl, but it was the same bowl. It was uh, Oklahoma, Florida State, if you remember. Florida yeah. State got that win and propelled themselves into this undefeated season. So we'll see which of these nine and three teams, Kansas State and uh, North Carolina State, can do the same. Dave Dorn's had a really nice year at North Carolina State, yes. by the way. I don't think he's got enough credit as well. All right, last thought I'll get you out of here. I know you covered the yeah. AAC and Tulane. Tell the, tell the audience in the country what a great coach Willie Fritz is. Going to Houston now, this guy's done an unbelievable job turning around that Tulane program. Phenomenal job. And, you know, he would have ended up – he would have been at Georgia Tech this year if Brent Key in the interim role didn't win a couple there at the end. Right. There's no doubt about it. Um, he's got – so the thing about Willie Fritz is – and I, I – He's a little older, and I say older, he's like 62, but, you know, sometimes that gets held against these guys. So I thought, oh, man, are they going to not give this guy a power five job because he deserves it? Great thing for him is he's got ties to Houston. He's yep. got ties to Texas. He coaches Sam Houston, and he said it in his press conference. You look at him, every team, every level he's been at, he's won. Develops it's players. Develops players. two- and three-star guys. He wanted a chance to do it at the Power 5 level. He gets a job. I think it's a great hire by Houston. He'll get that program going in the right direction. A great guy, great coach. Well, reading in goalie, man, awesome, awesome analysis. 2024 College Football Hall of Fame ballot. That's an make or miss. That's an unbelievable accomplishment for you. Do you, by the way, me and you are about the same age. Remember, do you remember a guy back in your day played in FCS school, Arnold Mickens from Butler? Absolutely, I do. And matter of fact, I know Arnold. Uh, I know the name well because Butler had transitioned from Division Three yep. to FCS, and Mickens rushed for like two thousand yards. And so I always saw his name um, in the rushing uh, list. And the reason I mentioned that, when I was playing at UAB, the coldest I've ever been in my life, <laughs> we played at Butler in December against Mickens in a snowstorm on campus at Butler. Never been colder in my life standing on the lines at Butler. And, oh, by the way, you know, I had UAB this year too. Trent Dilfer, yes. another slam dunk hire for them. I think yep. he might probably move some assistants around, tweak some things, bring some different yep. coaches in. But good program in a great conference, great facilities. He's going to do good stuff there. I got you. All right, Reedy and Goalie, have a great holiday. Have a great bowl season on the call. ESPN analysts, you'll see them all over the platforms. Have a great uh, holiday. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Jason. As we roll into the holiday season of November and December, and you are looking to either buy a gift or potentially go in person to see your favorite NFL game, college football, Major League Baseball, the World Series is wrapping up, NHL season is just underway, and now the NBA. Ticketsmarter.com is your place to go for tickets on the secondary market. Whether it's the app, the Ticketsmarter.com app, it is the ideal place to buy tickets on the secondary market. And I've got a special code for you to save you some money. 
Powers 10 is the code. Use Powers 10 if you want to save 10 bucks on a purchase of $100 or more. Or you can use the code POWERS20 and save $20 on a $300 purchase. Again, you can use this code as many times as you like all over the country, whether it's the NBA, the NFL, the college football season wrapping up, bowl games, college football playoff, whatever it is, TicketSmarter.com and the Ticket Smarter app is the place to go. All right, welcome back, Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, now we are going to take you to Nashville, Tennessee. You're saying, what are we taking to Nashville for in early December? The MLB Winter Meetings, and we have my man Steve Carney, who is in the hotel at the Winter Meetings in Nashville. We're going to get some uh, thoughts and insights about uh, Otani, maybe what the Rays might be thinking, and a little Army-Navy as well. So welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Carney. Yeah, it's good to good to be here again, Jason. Uh, yeah, the the spacious hotel room that uh, I'm staying in here in Nashville uh, as we uh, as we wrap up the winter meetings here on this Wednesday. Now, give give the give the audience a little sense of uh, Are you in downtown Nashville? What, what what part of Nashville are you in? No, no, no. We're we're up by uh, the the uh, winter meetings are at the Gaylord Opryland, which okay. is uh, northeast of downtown and i am just across the street from uh from there is where i'm staying now just across the street still means about a 40 minute walk to get to the gaylord because that that whole property is so big like people don't understand just how big uh the opryland resort and and convention center is it's enormous there's like four different hotels uh, this convention center, a water park. Uh, it's it's wild how big this place. I I was I knew I was in for a lot of walking. I didn't realize just how much walking that was going to be. My feet uh, feel like they're about to fall off, and I wish I had packed a theragun in my suitcase because <laughs> it's just. I mean, I'm a big I'm a big guy. I'm almost three hundred pounds, and the to to make me do that much walking is just unbelievable you're getting your steps in for the day sir you're getting your big steps. boy getting his steps <laughs> <laughs> all right give the, another part of this give the audience a little sense of once you get into the convention center what are the what are the we we hear about the winter meetings and trade chatter and give us a little sense of are there gms walking all over the place are there agents give us a little sense of what it is when you're actually inside this convention center in the hotel that you, over at the Opryland. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to to see who you run into um, in the lobby. Um, you you tr- you end up not seeing a whole lot of GMs in the lobby. They tend to they tend to stay up in their rooms. Uh, every team, with the exception of I believe the Dodgers, are staying at uh, the Opryland, and they all have suites uh, in in different parts of of the hotels, and so. Uh, so they, they'll usually stay up in the suites for the most part. Um, they came down yesterday um, and and mingled with people, which was wild to see. Um, but uh, for the most part, they'll, they'll usually stay upstairs. You see a lot of agents. You see a lot. Yeah, I've, I've run into to former players. I've run into agents. Um, you, it's the, you know, some of the people – uh, on the ancillary side of, of baseball, 
uh, some technology people. Uh, it, it's been it's been interesting to to say the least. Uh, uh, I yesterday I came around the corner and, and almost ran over Dave Stewart, uh, the <laughs> former Oakland A's pitcher who is trying to get baseball here in Nashville. He was on his phone. He gave me the stare. Uh, which was maybe one of the scariest things uh, I've ever seen in my life until I apologized. And then he smiled at me, which was pretty funny. <laughs> um, does what kind of baseball business happens at these meetings other than the free agency chatter and the, is there actually operational baseball business that happens at these meetings? Usually there is um, you'll, you'll hear some, some, uh, some talk about rules, modifications, not so much this year, uh, you know, last last year was really big with pitch clock and uh, with the banning of the shifts. Um, but you haven't seen much of that here um, in, in this meetings. But um, there's a lot of there's a lot of like new technology that gets brought to these uh, to these meetings. And so you'll see um, staffs going and, and checking out these these technologies. I ran I actually ran into um, the race hitting staff. Uh, including Ray sitting coach Chad Matola, as they were going to look at some piece of equipment that they were going to use uh, in the batting cages, which I, I didn't get a chance to go with them, unfortunately, uh, to, to check it out with them. But uh, but so you'll see it's, it's a lot of uh, people that are looking to try and help the game uh, get better in, in other ways as well. And that's that's what we've seen a lot here this year, not so much about rules changes. All right, let's get to some players on the field. Obviously, the number one A-plus guy that everybody's talking about is Otani. Where is he going to end up? There was rumors that he had a secret meeting with the Blue Jays down here in Dunedin on Monday in our part of the world. You know, he Dave Roberts came out and said he met with the Dodgers last week. What what What's some of the chatter you're hearing? Is it is it the same old suspects? Or is there a uh, team out of left field that may be a uh, serious contender here? Well, I, I, I certainly think that, um, you know, it, it's funny that if Shoei Otani met with the Blue Jays on Monday, and I have no doubt he did, um, the the guy who – the person who runs the Blue Jays' Florida operations and their, and, their, and their spring training complex, Shelby Nelson, was here in Nashville. I saw him personally. So, <laughs> so – I, and and so if they met with Otani without him, he's going to be really really upset. <laughs> but uh, I have no doubt that he was he was there. So you know Rosenthal usually does not put out that sort of stuff unless he has double and triple checked, and you can pretty much take his word at, as gold. Um, you know, so the Blue Jays certainly seem to be uh, are, are certainly interested. You heard Dave Roberts mention uh, his interest. But my thought is that until the pen, until the ink is on the paper, don't count out the San Francisco Giants. They need somebody like Otani, and so whereas the Dodgers want Otani, and and the uh, Blue Jays want Otani, and the Angels want Otani back, I think the Giants need Otani, and so uh, I I would say that that Otani's uh uh future is still well up in the air i don't i don't think we're going to get anything here today on wednesday uh before the meetings end but it's the biggest domino out there and, and i think between him and the other japanese pitcher yoshinobu uh yamamoto um once those two 
decide on where they're going. I think all the other dominoes fall at, at that point, and you're going to start seeing a whole lot of momentum going. I think it starts with Otani, and then it just builds speed up from there, and you'll start seeing stuff move. You hear any chatter about any big names getting traded once, obviously, the Otani, any big names that are kind of floating around that could get moved? I know there's been some talk of Mike Trout, potentially Alex Bregman. Those GMs have come out and said they're not trading him, but you never know. Any any big, big names that you've you heard potentially get the, moved? The, the, big, the big name that's out there um, is, of course, Tyler Glass now. Uh, the Rays pitcher is – uh, he's in his last year before free agency. He's scheduled to make $25 million this year. The race have never paid somebody $25 million for right. a season. So, uh, you know, and it's not even close. I think the most they've ever paid anybody right now is 15, uh, F, which right, is Eflin, uh, Charlie, Charlie Morton. Charlie Moore, right, okay. Um, Eflin is going to get 18 here next year. So gotcha. um, the way, the way his uh, deal was, his deal was kind of backloaded, so he's got he's got a big year in his third year uh, of his deal. But uh, Charlie Morton got fifteen years, uh, fifteen million from the Rays in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. That's the most anybody's ever gotten from Tampa Bay. So twenty five just seems like, and you know, for a team that's going to have at most like right now one hundred and twenty million dollar con uh, payroll to to devote twenty percent of that to one right. person. Uh, right. as a small market just doesn't make sense. So I feel like glass and I've said all along, I thought glass that would have been traded by now. So because of the way that the, the race front office works. So for us to be here and us to almost be leading here and him still be on the races, it's kind of surprising to me. Um, a couple more things. We'll get you out of here um, on the baseball front. Uh, any other, you know, obviously from a race perspective, there's some chatter of, of, uh, Potentially Randy or Rosarena, Paredes maybe getting traded. You hearing anything on that front? I, I haven't. Um, you know, I know that there are a lot of people that are that are throwing things at a wall and seeing what sticks. Um, for Rosarena, yes, he's going to be 30 here pretty soon. He'll, he turns 29 in spring training. He's a Scott Boris client, which is always not conducive to uh, being a Tampa Bay Ray. And, he, and he's got team control left, and people want him because he's a big name. And he's come up in some big spots for the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't see Randy being traded this year. This is not. This isn't the year that I think they trade Randy Rosarena. Now, if they're out of things at the at the trade deadline, I certainly could see Randy getting moved. I certainly could see Randy getting moved next off season, but not this off season. Same thing with Paredes. Um, while I think they they most people think that he's uh, the Rays would be selling high on on Isak, and I think that is a possibility. Uh, I think that uh, I don't. I don't think that they're as convinced that they, they want to see if Curtis Mead and and or Junior Caminero can play third base consistently and hit at this level. I think they can play it defensively. I think the big question is: Can Curtis Mead or Junior Caminero take that final step and and become true big league hitters? Now, talking to Kevin Cash yesterday, he thinks that they both can. We'll see if that is actually the case. Last thing on baseball, then we'll tr we'll transition. Um, talk about any news, any any again, any chatter, any news, Wander Franco situation. Yeah, we we are all we are all waiting on the police investigation in the Dominican Republic, and uh, as far as I know, that is still ongoing. 
the most amazing thing about this is that nothing is leaked. You would think right. that, you know, if this right. if this investigation was going on in the United States, there would be stuff everywhere about right. about this. But this has been so quiet. We have not heard anything from the, the police down in the Dominican Republic. We've not heard anything from Wander Franco. We have not heard anything from any of the accusers. I mean, it has been radio silence. And this right. is really, I, I, I want to say it's impressive because usually by now we, we, we know at least a little bit. And right now it seems like everybody that I talk to, whether they're in the Rays organization, whether they are uh, in other organizations, everybody's in the dark. Do you think the Rays are making master planning to not have Wander Franco this year? I think you have to. I, I think you have to plan as if we're going to get to the first day of spring training. Because right now, Franco's on the 40-man roster. He has to be by procedure. Um, but uh, the day that spring training opens, they can put him back on that administrative leave list and take him off the 40-man roster. He'll still accrue service time. He'll still get paid through right. this whole thing. But I think they are planning as if they're going to get to spring training and have to put him on administrative leave. I don't think there's any other way that you can plan this offseason. It's it's amazing that, you know, you've got a 40-man roster that is now fully complete after the signing of Chris Davinsky yesterday. Um, you have five guys that are going to come off of that 40-man roster at the start of spring training, but not before. Because the guys that are coming back from Tommy John surgery, the McClanahan's, the Springs, the Rasmussen's, uh, you're probably going to take Taylor Walls off because of the hip surgery and and Wander Franco. Uh, so it's it's amazing uh, how tight the maneuvering is this offseason for the Rays because of the, the 40 man crunch that they have. Will he get paid if he's on that administrative list? Will he still get paid? He still gets paid. Yes, he 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 gets paid, and he accrues service time just as if he was on the active roster. He's just not on the active roster. And that, with the, obviously with the race financial constraints, that even more tells you they'll probably trade Glass now because if you're sitting there eating Wander Franco's salary this year and he's not playing, it's amazing. It, it's not that much this year. It was one million dollars last year. I think it's two million dollars. Oh, okay, okay, so okay, okay. His, his contract is extremely backloaded. Okay. So like his his contract doesn't get expensive for I think another two or three years. Like I it's you. gonna be a while. So I, I think they can they can be okay eating Franco's contract this year, but there's gonna come a point where the, the Rays are gonna start to get antsy. Right. I have a feeling. And they're going to go, all right, Dominican Republic needs to ask or get off the pot. And, you know, because what's going to happen is either A, the Dominican Republic is going to clear him. Right. And he and then Major League Baseball can finally take their, their penalty. Recourse. Right. There right. he can finally be penalized by baseball because that's what we're waiting for. And I would assume he gets suspended for, um, you know, some sort of conduct charge. Um, and so then the Rays will then be able to put him on a suspended list and not pay him, or he'll be charged with something that, and the Rays can immediately put him on the restricted list and not pay him. So that's, that's what, that's the, the thing that we're waiting on. We're all waiting on this investigation to finish up and there is no sign that it is anywhere close to being finished. 
All right, listen to Steve Carney, who's at the baseball winter meetings in Nashville. Nice 50 minute, 40 minute walk ahead of him to the to the Opryland. And it's freaking freezing this morning, <laughs> Mr. Bigglesworth. It's cold down here too, actually, this morning. It's it's probably <laughs> the low low fifties here too. So it's it's yeah, chilly here. It's, so it's 39 degrees this morning in Nashville. Thank God I have a I have a I have a I have a jacket. I got a puppy jacket to wear. All right, lastly, we want to get to Steve, too. That's something I know is very close to his heart. He's a uh, military veteran, so appreciate your service, sir. We have the Army-Navy game this week. Again, he, Steve hosts a podcast, the Stars and Stripes podcast, part of the College uh, Gridiron Coast-to-Coast podcast network that I'm a part of as well. So give me a little, give us the audience a little uh, a little theatrics of army navy week in in your world and i'm sure you've been to that game before uh give the audience a little uh, of being there it for the army navy game amazingly enough i've never been to the game Jason. oh wow because uh, when i was in the navy i was always deployed so i never got i never got a chance to go and while my when i was working at wdae the um usaa has junkets that that sends uh you know radio uh shows to uh, the Army-Navy game, but I never got to go. They always sent Pat Donovan and Aaron Jacobson. Uh, and my my response to that was always like, wait a minute, I'm the military veteran, yes. and I have USA insurance. Yes. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? So why am I not there? But, uh, you know, jo- all joking uh, aside, it's it's this is quintessential college football. Uh, you know, everybody talks about, you know, rivalries, whether it's the Red Sox and the Yankees or Michigan and Ohio State or the uh, the Bears and the Packers, you know, they're, they're, they're the Celtics and the Lakers. There's rivalries everywhere. There is no rivalry like Army-Navy. And I, and I say it is the biggest rivalry in all of sports and, and, and not just not just American sports, not just professional sports all of sports. Yeah. So I, 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 this is a, um, it, the, the saying is, is it's the only game where the players on the field would die for the people in the stands. That's and you, you think about, you think about it, it, it's for, and for both of these teams this year, this is it. They don't go, they're not going to bowl games. This is their bowl game. Uh, Army's got a chance to capture the commander in chief trophy. So obviously the black Knights have even more motivation to be the midshipmen this year. Uh, and, and Navy has all the motivation to keep army from winning the uh, commander in chief trophy. It's going to be a huge matchup should be a lot of fun. Um, army's uh, job running the ball has been, has been incredible. Navy's front seven, maybe one of the best in all of college football. Uh, and uh, I really do think that, this is good. It, it's always going to be low scoring. It's always going to be close, uh, even when these teams are, um, you know, hyperbolically different. When when one is like ten and one and one's two and nine, uh, you know, this game is always close. And that, since they're both five and six, uh, you know, this one's going to be extremely tight uh, on yards and stripes uh, this week, uh, which is actually going to come out uh late tonight because i'm in nashville and i put it together and all of the all of the production uh elements are sitting on my desktop at home uh (laughs) but but it's all recorded it's all ready to go uh price atkinson and i uh we talked with uh former uh army captain uh 
of the uh, Army football team, uh, Steve Anderson, 2009-2010 captain of the Army Black Knights. So he, and we talk about uh, his history with the game and why he loves the game so much. He turns eight different shades of purple. He was so <laughs> intense. I, I mean, he had me wanting to run through a brick wall. Uh, we <laughs> also talked with Bill Wagner uh, of the Capitol Gazette in Annapolis, who has covered, uh, you know, two dozen of these games and, and get his thoughts uh, for, on the Navy side. We give our predictions. Uh, uh, I'm going to tell you that we all went the same way uh, with the team. Some of us had different uh, differing opinions on the score, but yep. uh, we all went the same way this this year. Uh, so you definitely want to check out Yards and Stripes when it comes out here uh, late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. And the cool thing is, uh, the, one of the cool things about this game, other than all the pageantry and all the stuff uh, that happens pre-game, post-game, during the game, they move the game around to different places. This year, they're playing at Foxborough, uh, yeah. the Stadium. I, I'll be I'll be honest with you. Uh, I think the game needs to be in Philadelphia okay. more than it is. Um, it's just the tradition uh, of being in Philadelphia. I mean, they played was it ninety of these games in Philadelphia out of the hundred and twenty three so far. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, and and I when I talked to to Steve Anderson about it. You know, he's like, this game needs to be in Philadelphia. It's okay. just it's different in Philadelphia because of the trash talking. Uh, you know, it's a it's a blue collar. Uh, you know, it, the work ethic uh, in Philadelphia. It, you know, it's different there. I understand wanting to move it around, but you also, also have to remember the logistics behind it. You're bringing not just a sec, you know, a cheering section of of the of the school to this game. You're bringing the entire schools, right? You, know, you you have to. Sh- you're shipping the entire corps of cadets from West Point. You're is shipping that what happens? Entire- they, is mm-hmm. that what happens every year? They they allow and the entire corps to go. The, the the entire corps goes. Wow. And the entire brigade of midshipmen go. So West Point that. and Annapolis are dead I on Army Navy Day. There is nobody there because everybody is at the game. That's what makes this game so special. You have one on one corner. You've got an entire school, not a portion of the school, wow. not a wow. percentage. The entire school is there, and the entire school is on the other side, and they go after each other all day <laughs> long, and then they walk out arm in arm because uh, because of the love that they have. And it's it's so it, that's what makes this game so great, Jason. It really does. Uh, you know, uh, it's why you know it, it's why CBS broadcasts it every yes. year. And it gives it that 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 prestigious spot where it's platform all by, by itself. itself. Yeah, it's all by itself, and it deserves to be all by itself. And it will continue even with Army going into the AC next year. And people don't realize that's one of the hardest tickets in sports to get is the Army Navy ticket. Yeah, tell me about fan. it. <laughs> tell me about I mean, it. <laughs> I mean, great. It's crazy. So I mean, no, no doubt. Hey, more more desire for for an Army Navy ticket than a Taylor Swift concert, according that's to Jonathan. Right. But go I don't know if ticket. I believe. I don't know if I believe that one. <laughs> <laughs> you go to Ticketmaster, TicketSmarter.com, and find that Army Navy ticket for you this year. So, all right, Steve Carney, great work, sir. Appreciate the uh, the efforts and the time in uh, Nashville. Keep up the great work with the uh, Stars and Stripes podcast. I know you, he'll, Steve's going to be doing a lot of stuff with the Rays still once spring training starts. Uh, tell everybody where they can find all your great content, sir. 
Yeah, it's at St. Pete not uh, <clears throat> excuse me, at stpete9.com where uh, you can find all things raised. Of course, College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network, uh, where we've got all of these great shows like Florida Football Insiders. Going to give that a, uh, a nice little <laughs> plug there. Um, other shows like Get Off My Pylon that, that we take a look at the West Coast uh, things. Yards and Stripes, of course, is for uh, Service Academy Football. We've got the Big 12 Breakdown, Big 10 Paradigm, uh, as well as this week in the ACC. So check them all out at College Gridiron Coast to Coast, and of course, stpete9.com for all things Tampa Bay. And I got to give a plug to Steve. Steve's kind of our general manager for this podcast feed. Steve's the one that does all the putting up all the on the platform. So kudos to you, Steve, for all the hard work you've done throughout the football season. We will have a Florida Football Insiders podcast coming out probably Thursday as well, kind of talking about the Florida State playoff situation, the bowl matchups with the Florida teams as well. So stay tuned to that as well. So Steve Carney, safe travels back to chilly Tampa today. It is chilly here, so uh, you'll but you're used to it now. Have a great, uh, great rest of your weekend and enjoy Army-Navy, sir. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. You gotcha. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.